Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Today's episode has been sponsored by Serial Box. Serial Box delivers addictive book content in short listen or read installments designed to fit into today's fast-paced mobile lifestyle. Switch between listening and reading with a single click, picking up right where you left off. Learn more at SerialBox.com, S-E-R-I-A-L-B-O-X.com. I'm here today with Helen Ellis. Helen is a novelist, essayist, and professional poker player. Can't wait to hear about that. Her debut novel, Eating the Cheshire Cat, came out in 2001. Her most recent release was a collection of stories called American Housewife, which was actually spurred by a Twitter post that went viral. Her upcoming essay collection, Southern Lady Code, launches in April 2019. Helen is the host of podcast Southern Lady Code. A champion of the literary magazine One Story, Helen received her MFA from NYU. Raised in Alabama, she lives with her husband in New York City, right near me. So welcome, Helen. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. My pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm intimidated by your microphone. I know. It's it's, larger than what I'm used to. I mean, you know. This girth. Amazon. uh, (laughs) Okay, go on and on about the microphones. So... I want to start, if you don't mind, I know you have Southern Lady Code coming out. You have this new podcast. There's like so much to talk about. But I wanted to hear from the beginning. You came to New York when you were 22 with, you know, hopes of being a writer. And your career has sort of gone in waves. And it's so interesting. And I just wanted to hear a little bit about the beginning when you landed. and. You're- Your career has gone in waves. In Southern Lady Code for it, you had 15 years of complete failure. That is not what I meant. (laughs) Well, it is what happened. Um, You took a break. No, I failed. You did not. No, it's fine. It really is fine. I have no problem with the word. I'm not a best, you know, achievement ribbon type of lady. You know, you have to fail. And when you fail and you fail and you fail, when you do have success— you know, at 45 when American Housewife came out. And then again with Southern Lady Code at 48, it is all the more delicious. (laughs) So I moved here at 22 on my 22nd birthday and I didn't know a soul. I had $2,000 from working at a summer camp. Through a chain of Alabama mamas, (laughs) I met another woman, Stephanie, at the clock at Grand Central Station. You're going to meet her there at noon. You're going to find an apartment. And we did. Um, And then six months later, her parents came and brought her back to Alabama, and she decided to devote her life to Christ. (laughs) Your friend. Yes, my friend. My friend. She, She came to be a model and is even more cutthroat than the writing world, I'm sure. And then I worked as a temp. I worked in retail. You know, I just paid the rent and slept on an egg mattress, you know, on 74th and York and decided I wanted to go to grad school. Maybe that would make me write outside of my diaries. I got rejected by every single grad school I applied to. I get in off the wait list at NYU. And when I quit that job at 24, I was working as a secretary at a financial journal. I quit the job because I'd gotten into graduate school. My soon-to-be husband, and that means six years later, (laughs) my soon-to-be husband, who was a journalist, walked into the office, and I had the biggest smile on my face because I just quit. And God bless him. He thought that smile was for him. And he got the nerve to ask me out. And 24 years later, (laughs) here we are. And I went to grad school where I met Danny Shapiro, who I know you are very close to. And in that class, I met my writing workshop of 24 years, which is my other marriage. Wow. Which is the authors, Anna Napolitano and Hannah Tinti. And we've been together 
ever since. That's amazing. And so the first book was Eating the Cheshire Cat. It came out in 1999. It went very much according to plan. I wrote a book while I was temping. The book sold for six figures. I went on a 16-city tour. It did great. And then I wrote another book and nobody would publish it. And then I wrote another book and nobody would publish it. And then I wrote a third book and nobody would publish that. And then I quit writing for like three years and nobody cares. I mean, all that happens (laughs) is you put on 10 pounds. (laughs) And still, I had my writing workshop who never told me I wasn't a writer, who still let me you know, read their work and follow their success and sit on their front rows and hold their purse. And then I started secretly writing through Twitter because for a long, long time, if you met me at a party, what do you do? I was very honest. I said, I'm a housewife because I'd stopped my job at one point to try to write full time. And again, just because you do things in a particular way or the right way doesn't mean you'll be successful. And so I would say, I'm a housewife. And if there was another question, yeah. The question was, what do you do all day? And I started this Twitter account, unbeknownst to my writing workshop, unbeknownst to my husband, (laughs) called What I Do All Day. And after I got 100 followers, I told them, I said to my husband, I have something to tell you in all color, just drain from his face. What is it? I have a secret Twitter account. Please don't ever break news to me in this way again. And same with Anna and Hannah. And that is how I started writing again, because Twitter is the best editor. And I still abide by the practice of if it's not retweeted, it's deleted. And I started from the Twitter account. I realized what I was tweeting about. I was tweeting about what I was doing all day, hosting parties, book clubs, solitude, you know, domestic drama, and stories built out of that. And I started to write short stories, submit them like I used to do back in the day of graduate school to university presses. Mm -hmm where you don't get paid a thing, but lovely 22-year-olds pull you out of the slush and publish you, and it's fantastic. And then at one point I had, you know, a friend and agent says, how many of these do you have? And I said, I have, I think at the time I had 12. Well, let's see if we can get them published. And I just fell ass backwards (laughs) (laughs) into a book deal. And that's that. That's how it happened. (laughs) That's amazing. That's like the perfect, doesn't everyone say, like, write what you know? Yeah, you have to write what you know. Yes. Yes, that's true. That's true. I mean, I don't know about murdering my doorman, but I thought about it. I mean, I shouldn't say that. (laughs) I know, no, I'm thinking about about your novels and everything. But okay, in this instance, you know. (laughs) And then what about? My packages come a lot earlier now. <laughs> I meant the Twitter part, but anyway. What about Southern Lady Code? How did, so you, so American Housewife comes yes. out, then go Again, from there. Again, just amazing, amazing how that went down. And that opened up other doors for me because magazine editors reached out to me and said, would you write about your trips playing poker with your father in Biloxi? Would you write about how to be the best guest at a party? And so this is nonfiction. And I just lied <laughs> and said, yes, I'll do it. Yes, I can do it. And so I started writing these nonfiction pieces. And you know what, Zippy? It is much easier to tell the truth. <laughs> it's much, much easier for me. And I wrote this piece that was published in Modern Love called Making a Marriage Magically Tidy about how I became a, re- became a recovering slob <laughs> to save my marriage. And Doubleday said, would you write a whole book of these? And again, I just 
bullshitted my way into it. Yes, of course I can do it. Yes. And nine months later, it was done. Nine months. That's fast. That was the fastest I've ever written anything. But again, I didn't have to make anything up. Yeah. (laughs) And I've been around a little while. I have (laughs) have 48 years behind me, and I'm not really embarrassed by anything. So, yeah. There you go. Like personal essays. It's just like, yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Not to minimize. I mean, your essays are amazing. Um, And they all like work together in a great great way. I was joking when you first got here when our coats are so similar because you have this this story. I'm going to take yours. No, yeah. (laughs) Mine has a peppermint and a Metro card in mine, but I bet yours does too. No, mine has nothing. I like, (laughs) it keeps falling out. I've lost my wallet three times out of the same jacket. It's like so slippery. Anyway, the story was called The Other Woman's Burberry Coat about how you picked up the wrong coat. Mm -hmm. a coat check and the one you got was actually a little nicer than yours. Mm-hmm. You had like all this debate what to do about it. So you decide to keep the code and write, this is the way I handle a lot of problems, aka rich people problems. I'm lucky to have the life that I have. So my motto is, oh, it's fine. I don't send food back in a restaurant unless there's a finger in it. There's never a finger in it. So I don't send food back. It's fine. <laughs> so talk to me about this philosophy of yours. It's true. You know, I Grew up in Alabama, and New York City, 25 years later, is still a very wealthy place to me. You know, I am very—I feel very privileged to live here. And, you know, I've, I've seen and experienced real problems. And when, for example, there's not a finger in my food, or, oh, I take the wrong lady's Burberry trench coat, or tile is put up in the bathroom so that you can't— Keep the toilet lit up when you pee standing up. I just don't make a fuss about it because, really, I would rather just accept it than fight over it because, really, who cares? (laughs) Who cares? I have my health. I have a happy marriage. I have two pairs of jeans. I mean, really, (laughs) what do I have to bitch about? Nothing. This is like the ultimate don't sweat the small stuff. I don't sweat the small stuff. No. Uh -uh. I'm just going to regurgitate different sayings to encapsulate everything that you're saying so in such a funny way. I'm just going to reduce it all down. Your best guest essay was mm-hmm. also so funny. And you wrote about the best guest at a dinner party. You said, the best guest eats what she is given. If an hors d'oeuvre is on a toothpick, she does not sniff it suspiciously like baby laxative <laughs> cut cocaine. She sucks that toothpick clean and then she asks for seconds. <laughs> Let me tell you, Zippy, you are a lady who throws a party or two. And I met you because you came to a party at my house, and you are the best guest. And may I tell yes, your listeners sure, why? Yes, sure, yes. Okay, <laughs> so there are certain things that people will do at a party where they can ask me almost for anything, maybe a kidney, because they were such a good guest. <laughs> so at my, I had a fundraiser for One Story Magazine, and it was a game night. And when I say game night, I mean, let's see how quickly you can work this 100-piece unicorn puzzle in 20 minutes, or let's play Family Feud in my bedroom. And all the while, let's have a dare bag where you can get a lot of points if, you know, for example, you put on my bathrobe and strut through the apartment, or you speak throughout charades without giving it away. Well, the most points that anybody could get, (laughs) you did the dare. (laughs) So the dare was change outfits with another person. <laughs> and I look up and there you are in my friend's <laughs> jeans dress and she's in your fr- and she's in your dress and 
You know, what can I say? That is the best guess. That is what you call a good sport. Uh, (laughs) You are a good sport, madam. You know, I could not believe I walked in there and everyone was doing all these crazy things. And I was like, I don't even know what planet have I landed on. I'm like, but, you know, the competitive instinct takes over. And I had brought my good friend, Lauren Costello. And she's like, oh, we're going to win this. Oh, yes. If we're here, we're doing it. Oh, yes. You were on, am I right? You were on AM Holmes' team? Yes. Okay, so again... A.M. Holmes was a professor of mine in graduate school. And as I say on Southern Lady Code, the podcast, she has a presence, which translates to she scares the shit out of me because she's so accomplished. And I've known the woman for 20-something years, but she'll always be my teacher. Like Danny Shapiro mm-hmm, yeah. will always be my teacher. And I will always feel 24 years old, which is, you know, I should think that's a good thing. You know, it's better than Botox. Um, <laughs> so... Again, there is Am Holmes in my apartment with you, your friend. Is it Lauren? Am I right? Yep. Who I'm a little bit in love with. She's amazing. <laughs> and Jean, congoing through my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and Am Holmes's arms are wrapped in toilet paper cast. Yes, that was true. That was true too. And I'm like, these ladies are going to take it down. The yellow team. Oh my gosh, that took was so it down. funny. At one point. The very last challenge was you had to make the best Scrabble word because I had hidden Scrabble tiles all over the house, which was also, you know, another game, like a Scrabble hunt. And after everybody had left, I had discovered people had gone through my panty drawer. Oh, no. (laughs) People had emptied out the piggy banks. And that is just, again, that's a good guest. That's a good sport. I think that's a good hostess. I mean, that was a killer part. I mean, that was like unlike any event I've ever been to. And no phones allowed. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, I she had, lost a lot of points if I saw a phone, and we did see phones, and people lost points. Yeah, that was tough. I was like, <laughs> all these calls, the kids are like, Oh, you no, know. no. Two hours, you're all mine. I know. That was a... But yes, I did. When I asked you a second ago, Ooh. when you recorded, where you recorded your podcast, <sighs> I thought you were going to say, you know, like on 57th Street or something. And no. Ellen just started to talk about, in, I was in her bathroom, and I have now like been undressed in her bathroom. Yes. It's just so random. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which, if you're going to Instagram a picture, that would be the picture to Instagram. But I... Not to mention the outfit. <laughs> I changed into ended up looking so much better than the one it I had showed fantastic. up in. Both of you and I fantastic. saw what she looked like in my clothes, and I was like, oh my God, I'm never wearing that again. It looks terrible. Well, so if you ask where I do the podcast, so again, I'm at this point in my life where for the most part, if I'm given an opportunity, I'll say yes, for the most part. And people at Penguin and Doubleday said, oh, you know, would you do a podcast, a mini podcast based on Southern Lady Code? And I'm a huge podcast listener. I said, yes, absolutely. So where do I record it? Oh, just go into your closet or bathroom. (laughs) So for the first like eight episodes, I sat my ass on the floor of my bathroom, borrowing my cat's pillow with the microphone on the toilet lid and just, I think we said regurgitated, you said regurgitated earlier. And I felt like I was regurgitating, you know, in college into the toilet. And since then, because Liberty Hardy, who does Book Riot, showed a picture of where she does her podcast, which is at her desk, which is where we're sitting in your home. And I thought, well, this is much more ladylike. I'm going to sit at my desk. And so now I do it at my desk. (laughs) So then Lady Code says, get off the bathroom floor. Exactly. Just because, you know, I am very comfortable being barefoot, you know, in the kitchen doesn't mean I need to be barefoot when I do my podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> what are some of the podcasts, not to put you on the spot, what do you like to listen to? So I'll tell you other little mini podcasts because mm-hmm. my podcast is six to eight minutes. And so I like that format from time to time. There's a great one called The Way I Heard It 
by Mike Rowe, where he just tells old Hollywood stories and with a twist. There's a fabulous new podcast called 10 Things That Scare Me. Oh, and yeah. Isn't it the best? I want to be on it. I got to send him a list. I tried. Did you really? Yeah, Tell me. I went to this women's podcasting event. Oh, you should go when yes. it comes back. It's called Work It, W E R K. Love it. Work It. Yes. Anyway, um, and they were about to launch that show. And yes. they said, if anybody wants to try, write down your list and come like record it with the <gasps> producers. Oh, God, I should have. So I was like the first one. I was like, let me try. Well, but did but you I, say that I, I don't you? Know. I didn't. I should have like thought so about it. So what's the weirdest thing you're afraid of? It wasn't weird enough. It was like, I don't know, death or something like totally I, My regular. kid's dying. <laughs> yes. It was like, you know. It's got to be weird. I know. It was not weird. I'm not weird enough. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, my biggest fear right now is that my neck will lo- eventually look like, you know, when you have a leak at the top of the ceiling and you have a massive water bubble yeah. hanging down of paint. I have like, one in the bathroom. Oh, we can take a picture. We can compare my neck. <laughs> and I like, there's another one called Cabinet of Curiosities, where this, the guy who does lore, it's his new podcast. But then I love a true crime podcast. Mm-hmm. I love a good interview show. I love a storytelling podcast. Risk is fantastic, which is kind of kinky or bizarre with Kevin Allison. And then my sister has a podcast, oh, no which way. you would love. It's called One Bad Mother. Oh. And it's her and Teresa Thorne, who is Jesse Thorne of Maximum Fund's wife. And it's been going for, I would say, six or seven years. And they both have kids, and it's just about, you know, raising your kids, and it's very honest, which means crass. (laughs) (laughs) You should check it out. I will for sure check it out. (laughs) Tell me about poker. You're a professional poker player? I'm a very, I'm a respected amateur. Respected amateur. Okay, (laughs) respected amateur. How did, and you were Colson Whitehead's coach? I was. Okay, tell me this. Which again, I did, I think that... I coached him because he was going to go play the World Series and write about it for Grantland. And I think that was 2011, 2012. And so he had no idea I was a writer. You know, I was just a 40-something-year-old poker-playing housewife. (laughs) And not just, I was a (laughs) 40-something-year-old poker-playing housewife. I mean, what else would you want to be, a lady of leisure? And I thought at the time, you know, when I read the, you know, his draft of it, I thought, if this is the way I go down in history, which was a pretty badass portrait of myself, I would be very happy with that. You know, it was like seeing, uh, you know, a famous artist paint your portrait. And I didn't change a word of it. And I remember being at a one-story event, and I think it was 2012, where I was introduced to Nan Graham, who was my Scribner editor, at or the head of Scribner when I published there in 1999, someone introduced me to her as Colson Whitehead's poker coach. And she did, thank God, remember me. But it had been over 10 years since I published. But that is what I was being introduced as. And that at the time was perfectly fine. But I will tell you that seeing myself portrayed in sort of a badass way made me more courageous. And I thought, you know, if I can walk into a room with thousands of men and think I'll be the last one standing, I can write a little story. Oh, totally. And so I did. <laughs> and I do thank him in American Housewife for reminding me that I'm brave. Totally. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so, but I started playing poker when I was six. My father's a poker player. His father was a poker player. And I, the only downside of the my return to a publishing life is that I don't play as much. I haven't played since November, so be, I'm I in think, complete withdrawal. I think you need to have a poker night. I think. Well, I do give oh, ladies do? lessons. Oh, okay. So ladies lessons. I give That's ladies amazing. lessons because women make up 4% 
of the poker field, and I give ladies lessons. I will come to your house. I will charge. (laughs) And I will teach six to ten of your friends how to walk into a casino and play, you know, hold them, stud, whatever you want to play. And I also teach 10-year-old boys as long as their mothers are involved. Really? (laughs) Yes, I do. I have an 11-year-old boy. Perfect. Okay. That's good. And, you know, again, it's like kids and women, you know, they need to know how to play. That's awesome. I will be figuring out when to have that event. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm already planning for June because June is the World Series in Vegas, and my tour will be over by then. Wow. So I'll be off to Vegas for a week or two to play. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to remember how. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned earlier when we were just talking, like your philosophy on life, sort of nothing's too big a deal because of the stuff that's gone on before. Is there anything you'd be willing to share? Like, no, not so much. Okay. <laughs> well, just I mean, that I checked. you know, I, I can say this, you know, when I first started dating my husband, there was a lot of death in his family. There was a the fast death of his 29-year-old brother to a brain aneurysm, and there was a very lengthy death of his grandmother to what happens when Mm -hmm. you get old and Mm -hmm. they keep you alive. (laughs) And so it was years of being the only caretakers in a very stressed, you know, sad, sad time. And both of us, it's just never been as hard as that. So, yeah, I'm not going to be upset over much of anything. You know, again, it's just never has been as hard as that. And I hope it won't be as hard as that because I am, you know, older and, you know, a little braver than I was in my 20s. You need to wear a shirt that's it's like hashtag brave. That is like you are, that is like. <laughs> it's, it's not so brave. It's I not think. so brave. I'm not a hot shot, you know, firefighter know. in Montana. <laughs> but I um, mean, <laughs> but Alabama woman in New York. I mean, just getting through this is it's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty brave. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> so next for you, you have Southern Lady Code. You're going to do the tour. Are you writing anymore? Or? I'm working on the podcast, which is I'm writing because it's like I sort of compare it to what Dave David Sedaris used to do on NPR or what you see Jim Gaffigan do on CBS this Mm -hmm. morning, you know, like, oh, all of tumors are compared to fruit, you know, (laughs) just like little funny poignant pieces that last three or four minutes. So it's, again, nonfiction and it's getting that muscle going and I like doing it and, you know, but but I have no idea what I'm writing next to put in a book. Yeah, that's what I mean. And that's cool. Again, I'm just not concerned at all. Getting the content out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And do you have any advice to aspiring writers? <laughs> I didn't know what you were going to ask I, uh, me. <laughs> aspiring. Aspiring poker players? Yes, aspiring, I have, yeah, I have uh, advice for both. Southern code ladies? Uh, I have advice to writers. My advice is two things. One is find yourself one or two friends to read your work. If they're writers, that's fantastic. If not, that's still okay. You know, I have, when I write something new, Anne and Hannah are the first to read it. My husband reads it. My sister reads it. And my friend Martin reads it. And that's that. Do they change it? Like, do they do you allow them to edit it? Well, Anne and Hannah and my husband, my husband is a editor at CBS. So, which is, and he's completely outside my market because I don't fool myself. I do not write for straight men. <laughs> I write for women. And I write for gay men. <laughs> so if I can keep him interested, then I've really set the bar. But both Anne and Hannah definitely give me critiques. And my friend Martin Wilson is a writer, and he does. And my sister is just a rampant reader and stand-up comedian. So it's, again, like it's a good mix. And my other advice is work the crossword puzzle every day. And work it in pencil, for heaven's sake. <laughs> 
working in pencil to start because when you're working in pencil, you're more willing to make a mistake. I mean, yes, there's the whole bit about vocabulary. You know, you increase your vocabulary. But for me, it's the daily process of getting my mind working and making a mistake. And as soon as you know you've made the right word choice, you put it in pen. So those are my two bits of advice. Amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for I coming. don't forget to giggle. Yeah, that's, be- that's the best. You have the best laugh. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming Thank you on. for having me. And, it's a uh, pleasure. Can't wait to hear more of your podcast and God. <laughs> see what's next. <laughs> Take care. Today's episode was sponsored by Cereal Box. S-E-R-I-A-L-B-O-X.com. Cerealbox.com, delivering addictive book content in short listen or read installments. Thanks to Ryan and Steve at Texture Sound for the audio editing and mixing. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Mm-hmm.